Welcome to the Millionaire Mindcast, where we broadcast weekly interviews with millionaire minds from across the globe to empower you on your journey of unlocking a rich and fulfilling life. It's time to unleash your millionaire within. Now, here's your host, Maddie A. What's going on, guys? Maddie A here. Welcome into today's show. I got a great guest for you in Scott Omalonic. He is the editor-in-chief of Inc.com, which is ultimately one of the largest media and publishing outlets for small business owners, entrepreneurship. Many of you know them for the Inc. 5000 list, which ultimately highlights and spotlights some of the fastest growing, most innovative companies in the United States. And today was a very interesting conversation. I wanted to bring Scott on because this year, let's be honest, has been crushing for many small businesses, but it's also been very opportunistic and exciting for many businesses that are coming out of you know nowhere, as well as many businesses that have been established and just forced to pivot and adapt. And I wanted to know, what are they seeing? They're on the front lines working with many of these groups, these companies, these organizations, And it was very exciting to hear him share many of the case studies and examples and stories of businesses like you and I that ultimately have not only just found a way to survive in these times, but also through adapting and pivoting and leaning into these challenges, growing through them and finding ways to thrive. And I know that you're going to find some great inspiration in our conversation today. And before we dive in, I just want to welcome you. If you are a new listener to the Millionaire Mindcast, we focus on all things wealth building. And one of those vehicles for building wealth is in your career, in your profession, through your business. And today we really talked about some amazing things, strategies, ideas, and overall mindset that you have to have, especially in 2020, 2021, and beyond to be able to navigate these uncertain times. And when there are times of uncertainty, the best way to create predictability and certainty in your life is through consistent action, through leaning into those tough times and really seeing what you're made of. And that is ultimately where some of the greatest ideas and businesses are birthed from, right, is in those challenging times. So if you're new to the show and you're looking to take your wealth not only in your bank account, not only in your business, but to live in all areas of your life like a millionaire, I invite you to subscribe. Don't forget to say what up. If you're new, text me at 844-447-1555. All the links, all the resources, all the show notes will be at millionairemindcast.com. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can check those out down below in the show description. And drop me a comment down below like this. Don't forget, if you get any value from what we talk about, all I ask to help us share this free content with more people to help make an impact in their wealth building journey. And all you have to do is leave a review in iTunes or whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this on, or just subscribe to the show and drop us a comment down below. With that being said, we cover some great content here today. We really talked about the importance of having a business plan and how, why the Japanese have 100-year business plans, something that many people don't talk about, right? Oh, it's too far out in the future and you know so much can change then, but there's some power in this. We also talked about how Inc. curates and crafts their content and how this can help you bring more value to your clients and your customers and how you're serving them. We also talked about how the future is just a whole lot faster than you think and this year really showed and highlighted that in many different ways. 
We talked about core values. We talked about how to make sure you don't become obsolete. When things like this year happens and you're kind of forced into areas and situations that may be a make or break for your business. How do you pivot? How do you adapt? So it was a really fun conversation. I know that you guys are going to get some major value from it. So without any further ado, let's dig into today's episode right after this quick message from today's show sponsor. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like build and bigger pipeline with real customers leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this deep sales and LinkedIn has built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn sales navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn sales navigator and get a 60 day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60 day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. Well, I'm excited to welcome into the show Scott Omolonic. How are we doing, brother? I'm good. Thanks, man. You know, we uh, we went back and forth. We both have last names that people mess up. So I'm glad I got it somewhat close. It's perfect. Scotto, everyone calls Scotto, me. there we go. Everybody calls me Matty A. <laughs> That's great. So, you know, we're, um, we're fortunate to have you on the show, being that you have such an eclectic, um, you know, background and track record and experience uh, with so many amazing businesses, right? And being that the Millionaire Mindcast is, yes, about building wealth, um, you know, in all areas of your life, but oftentimes it starts with, you know, amassing some kind of momentum financially through your career, through your business. And you guys have seen so many different types of businesses. And this year uh, in particular, it's been crushing for a lot of businesses. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, you know, with where things are currently at and where things are going, maybe, you know, give us a recap and what did you guys see that shocked you in 2020 and how it impacted um, maybe Inc. in general or everybody in your ecosystem? And how did you guys kind of pivot and weather the storm? Yeah, so I have to say, you know, like many businesses, we were af- affected too and went to remote work as so many did and didn't know how we were going to do that. Um, you know, media is a very collaborative business and we used to be in a newsroom together and and that changed. And then how uh, we were going to do events, which is a big part of our business, had to change as well, right? So we had a number of pivots from uh, how to produce our products remotely to how to make up revenue that used to be achieved in events that weren't going to happen. Right. Um, so so I, I very much the experience that we've had at Inc. in the last year has been quite similar to, to businesses across the country. Um, and like businesses across the country, we've had um, those moments of great success and those moments of 
uh, I'm not sure we're going to get through it till tomorrow, right? And, um, yep. you know, we didn't feel that our, our mission is to serve the founder, startup founder, uh, small business owner, and, and do whatever we can to support them. So initially, we converted our newsroom to a 24-7 operation around closures, around PPP, and things like that. And, and it proved to be really useful. We started doing a town hall uh, with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce every Friday to talk about, you know, all of these questions people had about, you know, furloughing employees versus laying them off. Was government money coming or not? Um, and all of that actually provided us going from an event that was canceled you know, participating in South by Southwest, which was canceled, right. suddenly having this new opportunity to communicate with people and this new revenue stream. And that, that all sort of laddered back to the fact that we had to find some way to be important and useful to our audience, to support our, our, our consumer. And I think we've seen the most successful brands this year do that. And, and that's a wildly divergent story with companies that are incredibly successful um, and have seen their best year ever and others that won't be here next year. Yeah. To talk a little, I'm curious on your outlook in terms of, and we can maybe talk about heading into 2021, but I'm, I'm curious on your outlook, particularly on the topic of some of those businesses that are dying away. You've heard of, um, you know, people kind of talk about in terms of Darwinism of business this year and survival of the fittest. And if you don't adapt, you die. And we've seen a lot of businesses, like you said, pivot and really embrace and lean in and say, hey, you know what, no matter what gets thrown at us, we're going to find a way to figure it out. Then you've seen those other businesses that maybe didn't have the strongest operator. They weren't running it like a business what are your thoughts in terms of people being okay with the fact that some businesses just need to die and go away to create room? And that's the evolution of what our business landscape and kind of climate looks like anyways. It, it's tough, right? Because I think um, in, in sort of, uh, you know, the state of nature uh, version of me, right? It was like, you're right. Like they, they didn't adapt. They deserve to die. But the right. fact is, you know, uh, Main Street businesses are incredibly important to our communities and, yep. and, and provide wealth in so many different ways, right? So if we uh, look at the town I live in right now, I walk down the Main Street, I'd say a third of those businesses are, are closed. Some clearly closed permanently. Um, and now what does that mean for the rent rolls? And what do the rent rolls mean relative to the value of properties? And what do the value of properties mean relative right, to the trickle tax effect. that you're paying? And then like, how does that tax, you know, ultimately ladder back to the school system or the, the fact that the, the main street that was vibrant is now empty and crime is going up? You know, that, that, that not only affects your business, not only your, your home, which is most people's, you know, yeah. not necessarily business owners, but most people's uh, biggest investments. Suddenly th- this is all thrown into question, Right. So I feel that, uh, you know, we have some obligation to ask the question of what kind of world do we want to live in on the other side of this? Um, and, and, and that can be one in which, well, you know, it doesn't matter. Whatever happens, happens. Uh, survival of the fittest, that's the way it goes, and I'll adapt. Or we can make some choices about uh, shopping locally or patronizing people in a different way than we have before. Um, I know that though it might not look at uh, today, I'm quite fond of uh, 
getting dressed up. And, you know, I've been paying my tailor for, for clothes that I know or I, I hope that I'll be wearing right. next year, this year, just to make sure he's still there, right? Yeah. Um, so so they're, they're, that's the question for me is, is, is sort of like, yeah, there are going to be businesses that adapt. Big businesses are going to survive because they have the right financial instruments and the right planning and the right reserves. But what about all of the others? And what does that mean for us, not just as business people, but as a society? Right. And I know you are somebody that you guys see so much content. You are consistently looking for trends and ways to add value and to kind of throw additional tools on the tool belt of, you know, the small and big business owner. What are some of the things that you're excited about or paying attention to that maybe weren't necessarily, I don't want to say they weren't around, you know, in previous years, but now people are thinking uh, in terms of what the current, you know, landscape looks like and where things are headed now. Um, that you guys are excited to be covering and are leaning in and are trying to get out to the masses through sure, your guys' sure. platform. I, I think just before I say that, I um, speaking of and speaking of uh, taxes that I just mentioned, yes. the street sweeper is coming by outside <laughs> and, and it's quite loud. So I apologize for that. If that we don't um, edit anything out in this podcast, just so you know, we like the real grit here in New York City. So that's cool. You're going to hear it. Um, I'm amazed this year by some of the things businesses have done, and it's it's left me uh, optimistic, uh, positive, and, and actually, despite all of the conflict we hear about all every day on the news, um, quite positive about human nature in general. I, we've seen businesses do remarkable things. Um, Brastim is a company that uh, early on in the pandemic they they make the the fibers and materials that. Uh, uh, personal protective equipment is made made out of right. They had eighty employees hunker down in the factory away from their families for a month to ramp up PPE production. They worked twelve hour shifts and dormitory there. Right. The company uh, installed uh, high speed Wi Fi so they could connect with their families. But the fact is, you know, they they could have just added other shifts and hope people came back and not be worried about infection rates or anything. But they they made this decision that they were going to all stay there in the warehouse in, in sort of like a military style operation right. and get it done when we need it the most. And that, that to me is amazing. Uh, another woman, Julia Cheek, who uh, is in the medical field in a startup called Everly Well, uh, not yet profitable. Uh, home tests is, is what, they, what, what, what they specialize in. She went to her board, not yet profitable, and said, we need to start making COVID tests. We have the the labs who will do the the processing for us, but we need to start making the tests. And I'm going to need a million dollars for that because everything I hear is this is going to be significant, right? And her board agreed. And so Everly Well started producing uh, tests that they sent, ended up sending out to cities and uh, to help with homeless populations and think prisons and things like that, right? Because mm-hmm. rapid testing and other tests overtook their, their technology, but they still valuable. And, and that was a remarkable thing. Like, you know, and she said, I could not stand by at a moment like this, you know, after the fact, but I didn't do anything. Yeah. Right? Incredibly uh, powerful. Um, so there are stories like that that are amazing um, uh, in sort of the frontline way, but then there are others that are just as exciting uh, or, or just as, as positive. You know, I'm reminded there is um, a, a new liquor company called Uncle Nearest. Uncle Nearest is actually the the man who taught uh, uh, Jack Daniels how to uh, 
become a distiller. Oh, cool. um, and and so his uh, family met a, an entrepreneur and they created a new uh, a liquor brand. And uh, Uncle Nearest, by the way, um, was black, a former slave. Um, they not only ramped up their business, they hired an all-female board, which is unheard of in, in that industry in particular, let alone the broader industry. Um, and then as other businesses in the community started laying people off, they weren't only making booze, God bless them. <laughs> they, they, they were also making sanitizer. They, they hired uh, uh, people to, to their business, right? So, so they weren't part of the people who were shedding. They were part of the people who were bringing folks on at a time when people needed the jobs the most. Another example of that is a company in Miami that made sheets, a, a textile company in Miami. They added lots of uh, folks because they pivoted from making sheets to making PPE as well. So those stories, um, and, and not necessarily without an understanding of, or with an understanding of that there's a huge profit to be had here because that was unclear for all of them, mm-hmm. but they saw a need. And, and that is exciting to me because when businesses start acting that way, um, uh, you know, where, where, where purpose becomes as important as profit, I think that can be an incredibly powerful thing. Yeah. When you guys are looking to add value to your viewers and your readers, you know, how do you guys go about curating content, right? Because obviously those are your customers or those are the people that are in your ecosystem that you want to serve. And we have a lot of business owners that are always looking for ways to add value and to bring people into their ecosystem. And yet they struggle with, how do I do that? What should I be sharing? How do you guys go about curating content, choosing what trends to focus on, whether it's opportunities or challenges, or what does that look like in the world of Inc.? Um, it's listening, right? Listening. We listen to what folks want. We have communication with our audience at a really significant level. I spend time talking to folks in the Inc. 5000, the companies that have been recognized all the time to hear what they want and ha- have come to an understanding, you know, sort of an intuitive understanding of, of, of what they want all the time. But that can always change. And that's why the listening part of this, I think, is so important. Understanding, and I would say this is true for any business, understanding the difference between your company and your business, right? So your, 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 your company is, 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 is who you are and your, your, your purpose for existence, but your business uh, can change, right? So um, an example for me that might be uh, easy to explain is, is someone whose business didn't change, Blockbuster, right? They were the company, Blockbuster. It's, it's business and, and their company was, was about, entertaining people, essentially, mm-hmm. delivering entertainment. Their business was VCR tapes and then, you know, and then DVDs, but they never evolved past that. They could have taken their business another step and, and been what Netflix is. In fact, they had the opportunity to buy Netflix, right? And one, one Crazy. Point. But they didn't. They decided that their company and their business, their company was about entertainment, and that entertainment as a business was only going to be delivered in this physical product. And they got left behind because of that, right? So for me to always think about, uh, you know, what we are as a company, which is something that supports entrepreneurs, right? We're there to support founders and owners of of small businesses and startups. Um, And then how we do that, what information we give them, 
change and, and, and the form in which we do it, right? Inc. started out as a magazine. Now it's got a significant digital presence. We're moving into television a little bit. We have recognition and event programs. So all of those things have changed over time. So our business has changed over time, even though we are at core uh, the same thing, right? Which is a business that's a, a company that supports entrepreneurship. Yes, I love that. And I know you're big on, you know, talking about never being obsolete, right? And obviously a perfect example, Blockbuster, Netflix ultimately made them obsolete. How can someone audit or kind of take note and inventory of how relevant and or obsolete they are or are becoming? And what does it look like knowing that you guys have pivoted from print to all of these different mediums? How can somebody kind of learn from your guys's journey in terms of maybe their own business journey and take some of those experiences and some of that wisdom that you guys have gained to continue to innovate and grow to achieve the goal and serve, right? The individuals that you're looking to serve. Yeah, I, I think you have to ask yourself, how long do you want to be around, right? Mm-hmm. This is the first question. And is, is this just a whim or is your business important to you as a part of generational wealth? Is it going to go on in some fashion? And, and, and then when you do that, recognize the fact that, you know, I, I think there are only a couple dozen companies in the Fortune 500 today that were there in the 1960s, right? Uh, and, and that cycle is speeding up to where the average company is cycling through the Fortune 500 uh, every 13 years, I think it is, right? So the fact is the rate of change and, and, and the significance of business um, uh, to people is, is, is sort of, you know, picking up momentum, going faster and faster, right? right? Change has never been greater and it will never be slower than it is today. So, so, I personally ask myself all the time and be really honest with, for example, because I'm in a content business right now, essentially, um, what, what are my content consumption habits? You know, do I really read mag? I don't really read magazines anymore. Magazine is still an important part of ink because many people do, but my consumption habits are almost entirely digital. So where does that mean I should be shifting my interest? Where is my consumer going? How how do I recognize the competition, right? So is my consumer still happy with the same thing or are they showing signs of changing? Is my competition the person who does exactly what I do or is it someone who does something else that that um, that is adjacent to what I do that is going to steal the consumer from me? So just another example from my background really quickly. There was a time when the iPad was new and we were going to put magazines on on. On, on, on an iPad. And they were going to be PDF versions. Uh, this is at a time when I worked for what was then the largest publisher in the world that now no longer exists, right? So what is that? 10 years, it went from the largest publisher in the world Crazy. to not existing anymore. That was Time Inc., part of Time Warner, which itself no longer exists. Um, uh, my argument was, no, no, no. Our, our, we don't just put the magazines on, on the iPads. And I, by the way, ran a brand then called uh, This Old House, which is a television show in addition to a magazine and a website. Uh, we're going on the iPad. People on the iPad are playing Candy Crush. They're watching YouTube. You know, that is our new competition. It's not another print product. So we need to have video too. Mm-hmm. And people looked at me like I was crazy. But the fact is that they, they became our competition because it was a matter of attention and right. where you're going to spend the time you have, right? And, and they, 
they took up that space better than we did, and we lost out to them because of that. Um, so I think it's important to recognize is your competition who you think it is, um, or is it something else, right? The competition for a horse breeder uh, for transportation 120 years ago um, turned out not to be other horse farms. It turned out to be cars, right? right? So that's the way you have to think about it. Yes, I love that. And just kind of looking at it through a different set of lenses yeah. and sometimes we get boxed into. I mean, you said something too that really stood out to me in terms of you know what what is your goal and when do you want to achieve it by? Because then you can be a little bit more strategic in the road or the kind of map that you lay out for yourself to take. It was funny. I was actually reading an article. I think it was in Wall Street Journal of uh, Japan has the most businesses that have been um, ultimately in operation for a hundred years or yeah. more. And one of the things that they wrote in that article was that they write out 100 year business plans and not because they know exactly where things are going to be at in 100 years, but because you're kind of laying the foundation and the skeleton of your business model and also the mindset that is required to say, hey, you know, we're, we don't know what's going to happen in 5, 10, 20, 50, 100 years, but we are planning on staying in business and knowing that as things change, right, we're going to be equipped to adapt and pivot, not become obsolete, like you said. So I love that. And just the fact that, hey, yeah, the future is definitely uh, faster than we all think and is continuing to get faster. I'm curious with that in mind, what are some of the trends or maybe skill sets or ideologies that you think the savvy and sharp business owners are adopting and are ingraining within their DNA to weather those storms and to be able to do whatever is needed to survive? I, I think one of the most important things, and a lot of founders have these skills already, by the way, and it's how they became successful right. to begin with, right? It's obviously, on the highest level, resilience and resourcefulness um, and, and figuring out a way to get it done, whatever it happens to be, right? right. Um, but, but, but I think beyond that, the, we need to now have a, a comfort level with change or discomfort or, or knowing that uh, the territory ahead is unstable. I think we have to plan a little bit more differently than we have, right? So, so not only maintaining that that business our company is in right now, um, but figuring out what other businesses we should be moving toward and doing that simultaneously and figuring out a way to plan for that financially, right? So this is what happens to Blockbuster. Or this is what happens to Kodak is that they're making too much money in one category, right? So Blockbuster, it was on late fees, basically. And in Kodak, it was film processing, right? They, they invented the digital photog- photograph sensor, right? The, the, the CDC that's in uh, the CC, whatever it is, I can't think of the initials right now, but the sensor that's in everyone's camera and everyone's phone, Kodak invented that and put it on the shelf because they were making so much money from prints, right? But, but the fact is the consumer was changing, they were changing their habits. They wanted something faster, something they didn't have to drop off at the drugstore and pick up later. And, and, and Kodak was too focused on the money now. So somehow you have to tease apart uh, your, your revenue to make sure you're always planning for the future in that point where you have to sort of, you know, uh, jump from, 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 you know, one, one, one clump of dirt to the other so you don't end up in the swamp, right? Right. Um, and, 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 and that's really important, I think. And, and I also think the other point of this, I said this to someone the other day, I never thought, and I say this as a business leader myself, I never thought 
uh, an MBA would be less important than a CSW, right? So I feel like as being a social worker is now part of of the 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 toolkit every every business leader needs to have. There, that change that we're talking about impacts the staff significantly. The team who's going to come to you. Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast and trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. The team's going to come to you has different expectations now than they did even just a year ago uh, about what business should be or what their careers are. And and they want to be heard more than they have before. And so being able to listen to them, engage in them, engage with them, and to engage empathetically, I think, is an important thing, uh, as important as your traditional business chops anymore. Yes. And I know you guys have, obviously, the Inc. 5000, and that is something that you know, people strive to get on, right? It's kind of that badge of honor, honor, the feather in the cap. If you get on the Inc. 5000, right, that means revenue-wise and and just growth-wise, you are mm-hmm. on a great path and traje- trajectory. But I also know that you guys have something new that you guys have rolled out that kind of is congruent with what you just talked about, right? Of not just making the money, but really making an impact. Yeah, we and just- social yeah. entrepreneurship, right? Yeah, we just launched something called the Best in Business Awards, and um, we did it out of a recognition that in in what we had seen in in the early days of the pandemic, which was businesses doing more um, than they they needed to or were expected of them, right? Um, And... uh, we saw that, you know, yes, we understood there were B Corps. We understand there's a Patagonia that has, you know, um, it, it's it's corporate social responsibility and that being more significant. But but we decided that, you know, let's recognize, like, we recognize revenue impact with the 5,000. Let's recognize a different I- impact with the Best in Business Awards, the impact you have on on your client, your consumer, your community. And, and we left that definition sort of open on purpose, right? Like, we wanted to understand what companies uh, were doing. We got thousands of applications to the Best in Business Awards. And what people were doing um, was just 
astonishing. And, and some of it was traditional business, but, but brave. Um, and, and other parts of it were, were brand new and exciting, right? So um, Uncle Nearest was one of the companies we recognized with the Best in Business Award because of how they decided to reinvent uh, the good old boy spirits world right? yeah. with, with, with a, a, a staff that represents the population of the country at large and a board that makes up for a lot of stuff we've overlooked elsewhere, right? A lot of the gender inequality that we've looked at, at in boards traditionally. We looked at a, a company in Maine um, called Puritan Medical that uh, basically made started out as a popsicle stick maker, um, transitioned at a certain point to make medical swabs, became the only company in the world that provided the deep nasal swab for COVID and suddenly had to, in rural Maine, grow about five times what it was doing overnight to meet the first level of demand that turned out to be five times lower than the true demand, um, but delivered on it. Uh, Companies that are taking into account their carbon footprint from the start and launching as being carbon uh, neutral. Ones who are treating their consumers in a non-transactional way, right? So they have a relationship with their consumers that's not just about, here's a thing, give me money. Right, but but a, more of a, a relationship, right? Um, and and it was remarkable, and it's left me incredibly optimistic, regardless of the rancor we hear about in the news and the division, and all of that stuff, um, and regardless of a handful of still you know big company bad actors, and we could talk about those too. Right. But what's remarkable to me across the political spectrum and across industries, uh, how much more companies are doing than they actually have to do um, because their owners think it matters. Mm-hmm. And I think the consumers starting to think it matters too. And that will be a difference for a lot of folks. The, the folks who, you know, go... And, and by the way, we had a, a hard, hard time recognizing that there were a lot of really good companies we couldn't put on the list. We, we sort of broke the list down into 30 traditional business categories we look at uh, and that we have in the 5,000. And we... Uh, offered a gold, silver, and bronze award in each of those uh, business verticals. There were companies doing great stuff, uh, you know, working really hard at, at, at say, you know, local uh, programs for STEM education or, or um, uh, you know, food banks and things like that, mm-hmm. you know, doing, doing good work that just didn't qualify for the list because so many people had stepped up their game so significantly. Um, and that's just been terrific to see at a time in particular when maybe the government has not done as much as it could to see companies doing so much more is really exciting. And I think points the way toward an evolution of, of, of capitalism, frankly, that we probably are, you know, uh, really going to be receptive to. I love that. I do agree on so many fronts in terms of this consciousness and awakening of, you know, I'm a millennial and I know a lot of fellow millennials and younger generations, that means so much more to them than just the financial piece of it. Yes, the financial piece of it is important, right? But if you compare that financial abundance with the impact um, and the fulfillment that comes from that, and then just like what you said, the ripple effect, and also this kind of iron sharpens iron, right? You mentioned some of those businesses going, yeah, we're doing great things in our community. And you're like, you are, and check out what they're doing, right? Yeah. I think that's going to breed this sense of healthy 
competition that is going to serve everybody, not just in certain sectors or industries, but a country as a whole. Yeah, that's my that's my hope, I, I, and and I think I think it's a legitimate. You know, I I, I have a lot of hopes that are kind of <laughs> I just shouldn't have because they're not going to come. A little far reaching, but I think this one, you know, this is one that we can achieve. Yeah, yeah. And, and what are some of the things that you think you know business owners should be aware of? You talked about planning, um, and and I'm curious of what kind of your guys's rhythm looks like in terms of planning and maybe what you're seeing other businesses do and how frequent or consistent or maybe condensed that planning and that checking in and that course correcting is or staying the course for a certain amount of time. Um, but some of the things that you would encourage businesses to think about knowing that you see so many different ones at the highest of levels that maybe they can pull and extract into some of their business planning um, and adopt and know that you know that's going to serve them well moving forward not only as a business, right, but people that are through their business vehicle making a big impact in the world. Yeah. I think, I think you know, and, and I say this just having uh, come from a, a, a sort of business strategy meeting this morning where we were looking at the next three or five years of, of, of Inc. Um, I, I will say that, that I'm glad we did that, nice. um, but that's not enough. The idea of the three to five year plan um, the, the 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 fact that like okay we'll 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 have this meeting we'll set some ideas up that we'll explore in the future and then you sort of forget about it and go back to what you were uh, doing because that's where you know the fires are or whatever it's just not going to keep you in business any longer mm. the the I, and I take this from uh, a, a woman who made the Inc five thousand with a company called Globalization Partners we used to help businesses pre pandemic bring people to the United States. Uh, facilitated the visa application process and, and all of that, so the sponsoring process and all of that stuff. Um, she just pivoted and took, at the same time, several hundred million dollars worth of investment because of, in part, because of the pivot, realizing that, well, you know, that, that uh, method that we had of bringing people to the United States, well, we can still connect these people, but they can be anywhere in, in the whole world. Mm-hmm. Like we don't, right? And so she's recognizing that. And at the same time, she's recognizing this opportunity that they benefited to that has made this year their best year ever. Um, she says she does not go one day without thinking about planning mm-hmm. and what her plans should be and how the contingencies should fall. Just because we live in a time of... Uh, uncertainty being so significant, disruption being so significant, both on the consumer side and the technology side, yep. that we it's not, a, it, it's not, you don't have a luxury anymore just to pay attention to your business today. You have to constantly be thinking, and at least uh, in your head, iterating on what it's going to be next week, next month, next year, and five years down the road. So true. And I know we've got a lot of business owners that are listening to this, probably taking some great notes and really starting to think about what that looks like for them. Because what I've seen is, you know, a lot of people, they want to have a bigger impact. They want to make more income, but that attention to detail and the clarity that is required to really cover the ground in a more efficient and effective manner to achieve those goals, still not only to survive, but to thrive. Um, it comes back to the time that you put in before you get on the field, right? And so I love that you highlighted that. And I know you guys cover so many different um, topics and areas of content. So for those that, you know, and again, if, you, <laughs> if you're listening to this show and you're not familiar with Inc., um, you know, 
then you guys need to get familiar with Ding. But we'll link up all of the websites and um, resources in the show notes. But if you were to point somebody in a direction to check out some of the cool stuff that you guys going on, where would you send them? Oh, gosh. So I'd, I'd send them to the website and I'd ask them to look at uh, the Best in Business Awards and the Inc. 5000 Awards. Uh, but, but we have a section of the site called Real Talk. Um, and in Real Talk, we interview, uh, and this was one of our pivots for this year. So instead of events, we started doing webinars like this, right, uh, with lots of remarkable people. Uh, Mark Cuban, uh, the marketer Seth Godin, the marketer Keith Ferrazzi, Damon John, uh, Kendra Scott, all of these, it's like an amazing number of, of entrepreneurs, a couple a week, uh, quite successful, right? Steve Case, people who were involved in policy, um, the folks from uh, Warby Parker or Harry's or like dozens and dozens of sort of, you know, I don't know if they're household name entrepreneurs, but the ones that would, would be in, in sort of the, the pantheon of success. And the advice they have and the way we've distilled that advice, I think is, is, is really useful. There's something there for anyone facing a problem, at the very least to understand that they're not the only one who's faced yeah. this problem, even really successful people have. And here are some of the ways they've cracked that problem. Well, Scott, I love the content that you guys put out knowing that you are the editor in chief. You are kind of the uh, the director of all of this. And I know you've got an amazing team with you and behind you. Um, Very grateful for the tools and resources that you put out to so many small business owners and entrepreneurs and people that are out there, you know, looking to have that ripple effect and impact. So really grateful for you, brother. Thank you so much for the time that you spent with us here today. And uh, guys, we will be sure to link up all of that in the show notes, in the show description. Scott, if there was one thing that you were to leave our audience with um, that you feel would serve them on their journey of not only just building wealth in their business, but living like a millionaire in all areas of their life, what would you leave them with? I, I, I think that's it, right? To re- remind yourself that you need to live uh, all of those areas. And it's not just about making money. It's about carving time out to have a relationship with your team, carving time out uh, for yourself, which is probably one of the most important things yes. to do, one of the things we do least. Making sure you don't sacrifice your business, your family for your business. These are the things we hear all the time from folks that um, they regret more than anything else. And to be able to know that those are the places that everyone sort of regrets it and remind yourself uh, uh, not to fall into that trap. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview. And if you did, all I ask is that you share it with somebody else who maybe needs to hear this today or that could gain some value from something that was talked about or discussed in today's interview. You just never know one piece of information, a conversation, a tool, a resource can completely transform and change the trajectory of someone's life or their business. So if you get any kind of value or you want to support the show, all we ask is that you help us organically get this in front of more people. Also, for those of you who are really looking to accelerate your wealth building journey and unlock more financial freedom, get more time back and just level up your life, your business, your finances, be sure to head over to therichlifeacademy.com to check out all the amazing products and resources that we offer to our Millionaire Mindcast family, whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, courses from our guests, all kinds of free content, downloads, checklists, upcoming event info, and how you can connect with us live, in person, all kinds of great valuable tools. You can get that over at therichlifeacademy.com. Last but not least, I always wanna know, who do you guys wanna hear me interview next? Let me know, shoot me a text at 844-447-1555. With that being said, until next time, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March 2 million and beyond. Cheers, my friend.